Well, church, we open up your Bibles, please, to Psalm 19 this morning as we continue our series in the book of Psalms, Worship in Technicolor, from Psalm 19. Today's sermon is entitled, God Speaks. Well, church, imagine if you had the opportunity to travel into the interior of the Amazon jungle or to the wilds of Papua New Guinea, to interact with a tribal people who have never, ever heard of the God of the Bible. And you, through a translator, have the opportunity to introduce them to your God. But you have to do it in one sentence or one phrase. Why? Because you just got bit by a poisonous snake. And the tribal leaders are convening a council to decide whether or not they're going to kill you. You got to think quick. One opportunity. What would you say in one sentence? How would you describe the God of the Bible? You might say, he is the one creator God. He is the God Almighty, who is a good God. You might say, he is the God who saves. All of those. I think would be excellent and biblical answers. But as I was thinking about this week, I might say this. He is the God who speaks. And when I say that, I'm speaking of the God who spoke the world into existence. The God who sustains all things by his powerful word. The God who sent the living word, the incarnate word, his son, Jesus to live and to die in our place. I think that's what I would say. And if my poisonous snake venom antidote kicks in and they decide that I can live, I could conceive of them asking a question in return. Well, how does this God speak? And I've given them the same answer and I've given you this morning right from Psalm 19. God speaks through his works and most importantly, through his word. And then I would get about the business of translating the Bible into their native tongue. But church, this morning, by God's grace, we have a word of God which has been translated into our spoken language. So the question for us is this. Are you listening? Are you listening to the God who speaks? I'm not even asking this morning, are you reading your Bible? Did you have a personal devotional time this week? I hope you did. But I'm asking something even more fundamental than that. Do you know the God we worship as a God who speaks? Who speaks to you? who is speaking today? And are your ears tuned to listen? Well, let us hear the word of God now as we read the entire psalm, Psalm 19. Let me get my glasses here. Getting old is wonderful. All right, here we go. Starting with verse one. Day to day, excuse me, verse one. I can see this, there we go. 
The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has sent a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber, and like a strong man, runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray. Lord, we're asking this morning that you would indeed speak. Speak through your word. But the last thing that I want and anyone here is just to speak about you speaking. We want to experience you speaking as we delve into your word. A word that you have preserved for us. A word that has been translated into our tongue that we can understand it this morning. So Lord, we thank you that we have your written word this morning. But Lord, we trust and we believe now that you want to speak through it, that through your spirit, that your word will be sent into our hearts. You know what we need to hear, God. May we hear it this morning. Amen. Amen. Well, simply the main thought this morning, which I want to propose from Psalm 19 is that God speaks through his works and most importantly, through his word. Point one, God speaks through his work. We see that quite clearly in verses one through four. They tell us of a creation, specifically the heavens, i.e. the sky with its sun and its stars, which speaks, which shouts to us, O church. What do they shout? Simply this, that there is a creator God worthy of all of our praise. In other words, God spoke the word, the world into being, right? Genesis 1 and 2. And now it's his handiwork which speaks of him, of his creative power and genius. His handiwork speaks of him. All his creation speaks of him. Not just on occasion, not just on those sunny South Florida days that we tend to have in March or April or those clear starlit nights. No, 
His creation speaks of him all the time. When it says that the sky, you see the words, verse two, pours out speech in the ESV. It literally means or says that it bubbles up. It gushes out like a constant spring or a geyser day and night. It doesn't stop spouting and shouting. And this speech isn't just heard by a few people, not just heard by those who may have a Christian or Judeo-Christian worldview. No, when it says it goes to the end of the world in verse four, that word translated world means the inhabitable world. It means all people, all mankind, all humankind, wherever they may live. This speech that gushes out from the heavens, from the sky, from creation, is aimed at every person who has ever lived. That's why we read in Romans 1. Romans 1, by the way, I'm going to read in a set. We're going to put it on the screen. It's speaking to a people who did not, did not grow up with the Bible or in the Christian faith. But listen to the words that are spoken in Romans 1, 19 and 20. We read, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. How? In the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Every person is without excuse. Excuse For God has spoken, and he has shown us what? His creative power and his divine nature through what he has made. Whether it be a tribal native or Stephen Hawking, the famous British cosmologist physicist who recently died, Everyone is without excuse. But please note this. What God reveals himself through his works is enough to indict every person of unbelief. But what he has revealed through his works alone creation is not sufficient to save anyone. Church, for that, we need God's word. And we need his word incarnate, Jesus. And that's what this whole psalm is driving at. To quote author Tony Rankin, his excellent book called Lit. He says this. In fact, some knowledge of God, that is his existence, his goodness, his creative power, is visible in creation. Romans 19.2, Romans 1.18-20. We've read those scriptures. But when it comes to understanding the invisible realities of God, we must have revelation. We must have language. We must have words. Church, we must have revelation that goes beyond just images. I loved looking at the stars. Men, camping trip, you remember it for those who are there looking at the stars on that clear night. Looking at the stars, it was mesmerizing. We were in the Everglades outside of the light pollution that comes from Miami, and the stars were crystal clear. I'll never forget Juan 
It's big binoculars. And I say big, even that's an understatement. These were literally, not exaggerating, this big. You used to see the tripod just to set these binoculars on to rest them as we peered into the heavenlies, into the glory of God. I'm grateful for that experience. That night spoke the glory of God. But I'm sure glad we didn't spend the whole camping trip simply gazing at the stars and looking at the sun all day and all night in order to get to know God. I'm so grateful we opened the word of God that he would speak to us that way as well. I love climbing mountains. I love sweeping panoramic views. It's a worshipful experience for me of, to behold God's handiwork. I know many of you experience the same thing, whether it's the mountains or whether it's being at the beach and seeing the vast blue ocean. You see, images can capture our attention that way as we look at what God has made. It can produce emotion. It can provide us with a lifetime of delight in glorifying God. But we must have revelation. We must have language to receive God's divine promises, to know God personally, to know how we are to live, to know about him and to know ourselves as well. You see, God didn't just create Adam and Eve in the garden, put a backpack on them and say, have fun, Adam, Eve, go find yourself. Just go, discover, have fun. That's not what he did. Author Paul Tripp in his book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, comments. You see, God knew that even though Adam and Eve were perfect people, living in perfect relationship with him, they could not figure out life on their own. God had to explain who they were and what they were to do with their lives. They did not need this help because they were sinners. It's important. They needed help because They were human. Christ, we were created as revelation receivers. That's what it means to be human. You understand the rocks right now and the trees are not crying out for a verbal explanation. Why do I exist, God? What am I to do? When God created the trees and the rocks and the grass, he didn't even speak to them on the third day. But when he created man, he spoke to us and we're to speak back to him. Because we are revelation receivers. We need to hear from God. We are humans made in God's image. Those who are he who speaks and those who speak in return. We need God's word, don't we? To illumine our hearts, to guide us, to search us, that we might know ourselves and truly know God who created us. Just like the sun. We read about the sun in verses four through six. Just as that sun illuminates the sky as it runs its course, giving life and bringing heat, so does the word of God as it enlightens our eyes, gives us spiritual life and searches our hearts. And that leads to point two, God speaks through his word. 
Reading verses 7 through 11, it's worth hearing again. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Not sure if you noticed, but as we went through our psalm, the first six verses speak of God, but speak of God with the generic term, speaking of the God, the creator God, El, okay? We see that in verses one through six, but a change has happened now in verses seven and following. I don't know if you saw it. This transcendent God, this creator God of all is now spoken of in very personal language. How's he referred to here? It says the law of what? The Lord. The testimony of the Lord. Whenever you see Lord in all caps, it speaks of his personal name, Yahweh. The name in which God revealed himself to Moses and to the very people that he had redeemed out of the bondage of Egypt. It's his personal name given to his redeemed people. In other words, what is being described in verses 7 through 11 are the very words, the very revelation, the very instructions of the Lord given to his people, to those he has redeemed. This is what is often called special revelation. The revelation of what we know about God through his created works is called general revelation. But this is special revelation given to his people as he reveals himself through the scripture. In our psalm, see the author is delighting in this law that's been given to Moses and found in his Bible, the Old Testament. But church today, our delight cannot be contained simply to the law or to the Old Testament. No, all the words of the Bible that we possess, all the words we read in 2 Timothy 3, 15 and 16 are breathed out by God. Another word for that is inspired by God. All of it, Old Testament and New Testament And they're to save us and to sanctify us and to grow us and to make us like him. They are not only personal, they are also perfect as well. And that's how verse 11 describes Yahweh's law. Look at it. Perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect. Perfect means pure and blameless. In other words, it's without blemish. But it also means complete as well. Yahweh's law, his testimony, his precepts, his commandments, fear and judgment. All those words that you see in that section, they all function as synonymous terms to say one thing, that Yahweh's words are perfect and complete. All right, it says in verse nine, they are true and altogether righteous. See, it's not that God's speech through his created world, through the sun and the stars, are somehow less true. No, it's true as far as it goes, but it is not complete. What the psalmist is rejoicing in in verses 7 through 11 is that which he would not have known apart from God revealing it to him through his word. Through God's words, revelation or revealing his ways and his requirements as well as his grace preserved in the very Bible we possess. And these words of God, these words of Yahweh, 
Oh, they are good. And they're to be desired. For they are exactly what we need. They're what you need and they're what I need. And they're perfect in that sense as well. They are, verse 10, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Church, as you surmise, gold was a precious coveted commodity, okay, in the ancient world. They're sweeter than honey, drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Oh, they're to be desired. Friends, do you, do you value the word of God? Is it so desirable that you are willing to set your daily and your weekly schedule around hearing it? Around hearing it publicly as you're doing now? That's why I'm so grateful you're here. We are hearing the word of God together. Are you willing to set your schedule around to hear it on Sunday. I'm glad you're here. I'd love for you to set it around Bible 45 as well. To hear it doubly on Sunday. Work matters next week. Followed by our continuation of the series of Psalms. Are you willing to set your daily schedule around hearing the word privately? As you go to the word and open it up and read it for yourselves. Think about this with me. What if God appeared now and said, I would like to speak to you. Imagine if Jesus Christ were walking the earth today and he met you and said, I would like to have a cup of coffee with you. I'd like to talk with you. There's some things I'd love to share with you. How would you respond I think most of you here would probably find time in your schedule, wouldn't you? Jesus, morning, lunch, dinner, Starbucks, home, doesn't matter. You'd be there. You'd want to listen. I think that describes most of us. I think we would jump at the offer. I think we would hang off every word. You would find time for the incarnate word of God. That's Jesus. But somehow... It can seem different with the written word of God, can it? See, we're tempted to treat the written word of God differently. I mean, let's be honest, right? We find many of us difficulty in scheduling the word of God in, even over a cup of coffee in the morning. I've been asking myself this week, why is that? I mean, most of us here would say, yes, I believe the the word of God is inspired. It's God's very words to us. It's God's breathed out words. I believe that. I think, at least for me, it's this. Sometimes we can treat the word of God as just a mere transcript of God's speech in the ancient past. You know, so we can open it up and, yeah, I've I've read that speech before, (laughs) you know. But church, that's not how the psalmist here is viewing God's word. The word of God is anything but dead or distant. Now when we read this, it's the word of God. Look at verse 7, which is doing the reviving and transforming. Look at verse 8. What's it do? It's bringing joy and light to the darkened soul. Verse 11, it's warning and it's promising great reward. See, this psalmist, he's delighting. He's wanting it. 
He's craving it. Why? Because the word of God is active. It is on the move. Like the sun that leads its chamber and comes forth from the earth, from east to west. So is the word of God on the move, searching our hearts. It is living. It is active. It's life-giving. To quote one of my favorite verses, we'll put it here on the screen, from Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Commenting on this verse, pastor and former teacher Mike Bullmore makes this statement. All the images of scripture, whether they are of swords and hammers and fire, or in our Psalm 19, sun, or the more gentle images of rain and seed are all images of things that get stuff done. Every one of them. I love that. God's word gets things done in your life. Even when I'm not working, that implanted word, oh, it's working. And it's accomplishing God's purposes. For we read in Hebrews 4, 12 and 13, hopefully a familiar verse to you, but let's hear it together. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from its sight, his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And that leads us to the final three verses, 12 through 14. As we arrive there, at first blush, these remaining verses can seem a little, at least to me, a little out of place. Almost like a little tag on to our Psalm 19. Maybe even a little anticlimactic. But may I propose to you that these verses actually serve as the climax of the entire psalm. Why? Because they capture the response of the psalmist who realizes that the very word of God that he delights in is also the word which discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And he realizes he cannot hide. And it leads the psalmist to a penitent, to a humble, heartfelt prayer. It leads him to his rock and his redeemer. Church, it leads us to Jesus. God shows us his holy character. He shows us our deficiencies. Why? That he might show us Jesus. His goal is not condemnation. His goal is full redemption, salvation, saving us from our sins and making us acceptable in his sight. Oh, God speaks through his works and he speaks through his word personally, perfectly, and lastly, redemptively as well.
Verse 12, who can discern his heirs? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression, i.e. sin. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, just as the sun gives light, it also brings heat. And a lot of it, right? Here in South Florida. The psalmist feels the heat and he knows that he cannot hide from God even though he doesn't even know all the sins in his own heart. He's well aware that God does know and he sees. And so he says, who can discern his heirs? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. He's asking for forgiveness for sins that he's not even aware of, but he's convinced that he's committed. You ever been there? As you go underneath God's word and as he speaks, We become very aware of God's perfect standards and ways and how we fall short. And sometimes when the Holy Spirit is working, yes, we feel guilt. It's a good guilt. It's called conviction of our sin. We're realizing I am a sinner. At that time, I might not even be able to articulate all the sins in my heart, but I know that I am. I know that even in my best of times, even in the good works, even they are tainted with selfishness and a selfish ambition. And all I can say is, God, forgive me, even for my hidden sins. You know. And Lord, thank you that you don't show all my sins at one time to me. <laughs> That's just grace, okay? You show me what I need to know, when I need to know it. But Lord, you know. You know. And he's asking for help. He's asking for help that his arrogant and willful sin, also said presumptuous sin, perhaps sin that he's very aware of, Oh, would it not enslave me? So he prays, keep back your servant. Also from presumptuous sins, let them not have dominion over me. And then he goes on to say, then. See, here's here's his desire, it's our desire. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. What is a psalmist's desire? That he would be blameless. Look at me, verse 13 and 14. Blameless, innocent, and acceptable in God's sight. I just read that, church, and I think, isn't that all of our desires? We see it in our relationships all the time. Hey, hey, don't blame me, right? Not, not, Not my fault, right? We do that in our relationships. All the more before God. We want... We want to be declared innocent. Innocent of anything that would be condemnable in the eyes of the world. How much more before a holy God? We want to be accepted and not cast aside as some loser in life. All the more before God. Church, there is only one way that we can be blameless innocent and acceptable before God. There is only one way which we can meet the holy and perfect standards of God. It is through Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who lived the perfect life, complete perfection that you could not live and he lived it in your place and he died the death that you deserve in your place. To put it another way, 
There's only one way we can meet the holy and perfect standards of the written word of God. And that is through Jesus Christ, the incarnate word of God. God made flesh. Only Jesus can make us holy and blameless before a righteous God. Only Jesus can make you worthy and acceptable in the sight of God. He is our rock. When you read that, think righteousness, completeness, wholeness. He is our redeemer. He is the one for whom the psalmist ultimately pleads. Church, where does that leave us this morning? Oh, God is speaking. Are you listening? He speaks through his work, his creative work. He shows us his awesome power and goodness. He speaks through his word, the Bible, showcasing his holy character as well as our divine need. But God doesn't leave us there. He leads us to Jesus. How did the psalm begin? Verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. How does the psalm end? It's with the psalmist who is now declaring what? O Lord, O Yahweh, O personal covenant-making God, my rock and my redeemer. Yeah, Jesus. God doesn't just give us a bunch of stars. Say, you want to get to know me? Look. Doesn't just give us a bunch of words on a page and say, you want to know me? Obey. No. He gives us a redeemer. He gives us Jesus. The one who created the stars and the one who perfectly obeyed in our place. All of God's creative works, all of it in all of his word speaks his name, Jesus. Are you listening? To close with the words of David Mathis in his excellent book, Habits of Grace. May God give you the intentionality to shape your weeks with his word and ingenuity to shower your days with his voice. Don't stop on Sundays. Grab a cup of coffee and listen. Listen to his voice this week. He's calling your name. And he's calling you to Jesus. Amen? Let us pray. Bank, come on up. Let's sing this last song once again as we gather. As a fitting conclusion. Let's pray, church. Well, Lord, we thank you for the gift, the wonderful gift of your word. Lord, there's a realization as I say that, that I don't even know all that I'm saying. I see in part. But what I know and what we know this morning, maybe we respond appropriately. That you have gathered us to speak to us. And there's things that you want us to know about you and about our lives. And there is also grace that you want to impart to us as you show us 
your holiness as you show us, even at times, our shortfalls and shortcomings, our sin. But Lord, as you do that, please show us our Savior, that your word may draw us to you into the living word. So Lord, may we sing now, may we praise you, may we delight in you, delight in your word, and in doing so, delight in your Son, the word of God incarnate. Amen. Amen. Let's stand, let us sing, let us respond, church.